Amen. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his faithfulness. We've sung a lot about his faithfulness today. Isn't that good, isn't it? You know, um, how many of you are over like 60? All right. Over 70? Got a few. Anybody over 80? All right. Nobody's admitting it. Well, maybe a couple. Um, Think how much has changed in your lifetime. Think, think how much has come and gone. So every time somebody says, well, this is the new thing, you're like, yeah, I've seen it before like five times. It comes around. It's, it's wearing different clothes, but, you know, it's still the same thing. Even me, I've only been pastoring for 17 and a half years. And in those 17 years, it's amazing the same things that come through. And somebody's like, I, I got this new revelation. There's a book out. And you're like, yeah, that revelation, 70s, 80s, 90s, everybody's, you know. You know, this stuff has come around. And you've seen governments rise and fall. You've seen empires crumble. You've seen world wars. You've seen things happen. And, and enough for you to know that the, the rest of the world is shaky ground. There is only one solid ground that we've got to stand on, and that is the faithfulness of God. That's who he is. It's the only faithful thing. It's the only solid thing. When I was young, I, just, I was convinced that, uh, younger, I was convinced that the world that I lived in was the world I'd always live in. I was convinced that democracy was super stable and, you know, you don't have to do anything. It just goes on. I was convinced that, that the world I knew was always going to be the world I experienced. But what I found out and what you found out over and over again is that things crumble quick. Things change quickly. And only one thing remains the same. That's the word of the Lord. That's the faithfulness of God. That's the thing you run to. In fact, I want to read something to you from Hebrews chapter 6, if you'll read with me. Hebrews 6, how many of you have read the whole book of Hebrews? Anybody read the book of Hebrews, and how many of you enjoyed it? You loved it. If you were with us a few years ago, we did a, a long study on Wednesday nights through the book of Hebrews. It probably took us a year and a half, maybe two years to get through it, but it was so rich because what, one of the great things about, you know, I know we have our favorite scriptures and our passages but one of the great things about reading through a book, and, and I'm not talking about speed reading it, I'm talking about taking your time and studying it, is you begin to see the point. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you cherry pick, you'll get some good stuff. Amen. You know that like I, I, there's a good verse here that speaks to me. There's a passage that encourages me. But when you read the whole letter, because, it, you know, when this letter was read to the Hebrews, uh, the, the pastor didn't get up and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to read two verses from it. They, they read the whole thing. And when you read it as a whole, as you read it as a letter, you begin to see there's a point to this. There, is, there are themes that are, you're supposed to catch. And each one of these chapters, this is not like a, a new thought every chapter. This is all running together. And one of the main themes in Hebrews, of course, there's, there's, this, there's this truth that, that what the old had was good. But what is new in Christ is perfect, right? We had old priests. We, you know, if you were of the Jewish faith and if you were uh, of the Hebrew line, you would have read this letter and said, we had high priests in the Old Testament that did a good job, but they couldn't do a perfect job. Only Jesus is the perfect high priest. We had sacrifices that covered us for a while, but only Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that took away, permanently took away our sin. You might have said the old covenant was good. It was perfect. But the new covenant is better. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. We have a new and better covenant based on better promises. 
But one of the themes you see throughout Hebrews is not just that. This is the big one. Don't fall back. Don't let go. Keep going. Right? Now, I know that sounds real basic. You know, like, okay, well, I'm going to keep going. You know, sometimes our version of keep going is way too passive. We figure keep going just means I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to keep coming to church on Sunday. Or I'm going to, I'm going to keep, uh, I'm not going to change my status on social media. Uh, my religion is going to stay Christianity. Sometimes our, our keep going just means we won't actively deny Christ. We won't get up and, and tell our family, I don't believe this anymore. But really what the scripture talks about keep going is keep moving forward. Keep pressing in. Keep holding tight to the promises of God. Don't let go of what God has said. And that, my friends, is not passive. Even when we say wait, right? Wait on the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. The Hebrew says they'll exchange their strength. When we hear the word wait, we just think we just sit around and wait for God to do something. But, but really, the, the idea, the Bible idea of waiting is not just sitting around not thinking about it. The Bible idea of waiting is, is pressing in, is, is being is that, that, that patience that he gives you is saying, I'm not letting go of your promises. I refuse to doubt you now. You've never failed me yet. Why would I doubt you now? Now, I know I'm preaching to perfect Christians that have never had these thoughts in your life, and you've never dealt with that. You've never dealt with doubts like I have. Or maybe we're all human. And there's been times you say, was I wrong? Did I miss something? Because it seems to me, I know what you say, I know what the Bible says, but it seems to me from all the things I feel, from all the things I hear, from all the things I'm seeing and experiencing, this doesn't seem to be happening on the timeline I thought it should. And discouragement comes in. You know, discouragement, you've got discouragement on one hand and encouragement on the other. And the Bible tells us how to find our encouragement. We don't find our encouragement just because somebody is talking to you loudly and pumping you up. I mean, I wish I had Rocky's coach every now and then. You know, I wish I had that old man in my corner telling me, it's okay, get back in there, you know, you're going to do it, Rocky. Uh, but, but come on, it, that alone is, is not enough encouragement to keep you in the, t- in the day of trouble. Yeah. It's not just hype, right? right. I, I mean, I can get up here and talk in a monotone voice really quietly, or I can get up here and talk big and loud like this, but if I'm preaching the word of God, it's the same encouragement that you need. It's not about the hype. It's about what's behind it. Is there something solid for you to hang on to? And discouragement often comes when we've put our hope in something other than God because other things will let you down. In fact, the scripture says, um, I thought John did a brilliant job in that short period of time letting you know how his mindset had shifted where he learned how to trust God and say, this came from God, so I can trust God with it, right? But the scripture says, Paul said to Timothy, he said, uh, uh, warn the rich not to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but in God who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. Riches are uncertain. I mean, you see that right now, right? Right? You see that right now. Billionaires can become millionaires just like that. I don't know. You're like, oh, poor them. They became millionaires. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk just lost 44 billion bucks just this week. That's a lot of money. To you and me, 44 million and 44 billion is about the same, right? 
<laughs> it's like, it's, it's outside our worldview. But, but you know what? I mean, these things are shifting. These things shift fast. They crumble fast. And he says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of your retirement fund. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of your investments. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of your job or the economy. But put your hope in God. Listen to what he says. All those other things you're putting your hope in are uncertain. So what does that say about God? He's certain. I can trust God. Now here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 6. I hope you found it by this time. And it's not, a, it's not an embarrassment to use the table of contents, all right? If you're part of the TOC crew this morning, we welcome you. It's okay. It's there for a reason. Hebrews chapter 6, the first few verses speak about those that are going to fall away. It talks about people that fall away. John says it this way, they were, of a, they were from us, but they were never of us. They played the game. They might have showed up. But they never really, there wasn't a real change. There wasn't a real belief. He says here that there are people that have tasted of the goodness of God. They've seen it, but they still fall away. And he says, you can't restore such a person with elementary things. That's why we've got to move on from elementary because those things aren't going to get them. They're going to have to have a real encounter with God. But by the time we get to verse 9, he says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. That's good. So he's saying, there's going to be those that fall away. But I'm convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. You're part, of, you're part of a body of believers today. This morning, you came to a church that believes that there are things that go with salvation. That your ticket in life, your goal in life is not just to die and get to heaven. Amen? That there, there are things that go with this. That this, there's things that accompany the salvation. And he says, though we are speaking in this way, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Listen to that. God is not unjust. See, at the end of the day, when you're discouraged about what you, should, what you deserve and what should have come your way and what didn't happen when you thought you should, a lot of times we enter self-pity mode. And self-pity is the most poisonous thing you can partake in. Self-pity is straight-up demonic. And I know We've all had our pity parties. We've all had our moments where we go, well, I deserve this, you know. You get in that moment where you're like Elijah and say, just kill me, God. Fine, just kill me. I guess, I, I guess you don't need me anymore, huh? I'm just the only one. And we make him, I mean, that's Elijah, one of the most powerful, men, most powerful prophets that ever walked the planet, and he had his own little pity party. Peter said, pity yourself, Lord. You shouldn't have to die. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. That self-pity is, is straight up satanic. <laughs> like, it's a problem. It's a problem, and, and we have all deal with it. But here's what he says. When you get to that moment where you're saying, uh, it's not fair. I, I feel like I should, this should have happened and this shouldn't happen. You don't remember how much I've done. I don't think about how much I, I deserve or I should have accomplished. What I've got to think about is God is not unjust. See, what i got to think about is not how much I deserve it, but how just he is, how good he is. What you've got to do is you've got to turn your eyes off of you, turn it back to God. God is not unjust. He will not forget the labor of love and the way you've ministered to the saints. I want you to know some of you labor away in obscurity. Nobody's knowing. Nobody watches. You feel like, you know, I'm just doing this. I don't know if anybody appreciates me. Here's what it says. God 
is not unjust. He will not forget what you've done. He won't forget the work you've shown. He won't forget the love you've shown to his saints. When you take care of his people, I don't care if it's the guest speaker on a Sunday morning or the homeless guy you went by on the way here. If it's his people, he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget what you've done. And it says, in ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Verse 11, listen to this. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Diligence. You know, that word diligence in the original language carries the meaning to hurry. Like, it's almost like the word hustle. Don't slow down. Don't get sluggish. Show diligence. So as to realize, listen to this, the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you will not be sluggish, but you'll be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We need to say something. We sang about the promises of God this morning. One thing you need to know is that the promises of God are always true. The Bible says he's already said yes to it. If he promised it, you already have a yes. This is why we have to relearn how to pray. Amen. We don't need to give God multiple choices. Lord, if you want to keep your word, keep it. But if you don't, it's okay. I understand. You're God and I'm just a human. Stop insulting God that way. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If my son came to me and said, Dad, I know you said you were going to take me to the park, but, you know, I understand if you just decided to change your mind or dad I know that you always take care of me you make make sure you and mom make sure I'm fed but you know if you want me to go hungry today that's okay too I'd be offended if my son talked to me this way because he's not question he's questioning my character who am I don't you trust me and it's the same way when we pray to God like that we, you know something I'm talking about something he's promised there is a time and a place to say Lord what's your will here I don't know God's will in every situation. That's why we need to pray. That's why we pray in the Holy Spirit. There are times where it's not perfectly clear what he wants me to do next. So there are times the Bible says, Jesus said it, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever the will, what, Lord, what is your will in this situation? But there's other times where he's made it very clear what his will is. And in those times, I'm not flattering God by saying, God, if you want to break your word, you sure can. I give you permission. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't want your permission. He can't change who he is. So here's what it says. You need to be diligent. The promises of God are yes and they are amen. But you have to be diligent. They're not, automatic, they're not automatically fulfilled in your life. How many of you believe that Jesus died for the whole world? Do you believe that? I believe that because the Bible tells me so. It says that he died for the whole world. It says that if he, he said, if I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. I believe he died for every single human being on the planet. But I know this by the scripture, not every human being is going to be saved. Not every human being will receive that gift. Not every human being is going to put their faith in Jesus. I wish they would. But the Bible tells us not every human being will. So there was a price paid, and some people won't, won't receive it. Now, all they got to do is believe, right? There's faith. But they won't. They won't take it. So are the promises of God. There's so many promises that he said, this is my will for you. This is, what I, this is what I'm promising. This is what I'm giving you. But if you just sit back and go, well, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. That's not diligence. 
That's not faith. That's just passive. That's fatalism. That's just saying whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. But that's not the Bible. If I look at the New Testament, if I look at the Old Testament, I see men and women that chose to believe God even when their neighbors called them crazy, that chose to believe God even when it seemed like it wasn't working and hung on to something. And because they were hanging on to something, this is what Hebrews 11 is all about, because they were hanging on to something, they moved toward it. They did something. If you think, James says this, faith without works is dead. Faith without action is dead. If you think faith is just believing something, you've missed out on half of faith. Faith is believing it and acting on it. The truth of the matter is, is because I can't believe, I can't really believe something and not do something. I've said this over and over again, but, you know, if you believe your house is on fire, if you really believe your house is on fire, you leave your house. Yeah? I mean, unless you just have this, unless you're really cold, you know, <laughs> it's just got a thing for smoke, you know, you're going to leave your house. You will act on what you believe. You believed we were going to have church this morning, right? I don't know if you doubted it. If you're like, well, it's supposed to be 10 a.m., but who knows? <laughs> I mean, something got you here. You got out of your warm bed, and you got into your warm car, but at some point you got out of that, and you had to come all the way over here to 1802 49th Avenue because you believed somebody said we're having church at 10 a.m., and you believed us. And you know what? Your faith was rewarded. You showed up. There was a service, Right? But you didn't just believe that in your heart. You just sit home and I believe in my heart there's a church service today. I believe if God wants me at church today, he will pick me up and put me in church today. <laughs> Lord says to you, I've got something. You need to hear at church today. You need to be there with a body of believers. You need to be gathered and worship to me together. Yes, Lord, if that's your will for my life, I'm going to stay in bed. But if that's your will for my life, get me dressed, Lord. Lord, just get me dressed. I'll even help you out. I'm going to take the blanket off just for a minute. See, my, I'm putting my leg out there, Lord. I'm putting a leg out like Peter took a leg out of the boat, Lord. <laughs> but, Lord, if you want me at church, God, mm, you want me at church, God, I know you can do it. You can pick me up, put me in the clothes, and stick me in that church building, Lord. I don't even have to turn my ignition. You'll get me there, Lord. No, you had to get up. You believed there was church. You knew you were supposed to be there, so you did something about it. That's faith. Faith moves us. And so he says, you got to show that diligence. Do you have to fulfill the will? Do you have to keep God's promises? No, he keeps his promises. Do you have to make it happen? No, he makes it happen. Do you have to supply the power? He supplies the power. But you know what you got to do? Act on his word. Believe it. Hold tight to it. So he says, we're, we're reminding you of what God has said so that you'll be diligent, so you won't be sluggish. We said this a few years ago. Maybe some of you were there for that, but we were talking about hope. What does a hopeless church look like? A lot of us think maybe if we were all hopeless, we'd be sad and depressed and whiny. Maybe that's true, but I think sometimes hopelessness in a believer doesn't show up that way. Sometimes a hopeless believer still has a smile on their face, and they show up and they do all the things everybody expects them to do, but they become sluggish. When you lose your hope, you become sluggish. You slow down. You just let your arms down. 
because you've lost hope. You remember angels in the outfield? Right? Remember that kid that waved his arms whenever he saw these I mean, like, it was a silly movie that angels were helping the angels win the World Series. Or the pennant. It was the pennant. And in the movie, actual angels are helping them do things. But in the last game, the angels don't show up. And so there's a kid in the crowd, and his job is to signal them that there are angels in the stadium. And so he stands up, and he, he does his arm thing, even though there are no angels. And just that fact that they believe there are angels gets them to play good. Now, I know that's not a deep theological thought. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. Without God, I can't do a thing. doesn't matter how much hope I have. If, if, if he's not behind me, I don't, have any, I don't have anything to go on. But I will tell you, hope gets you moving. When you're hopeless, you let your arms down. When you're hopeless, you give up. When you're hopeful, you put your head up, you stick on the ice. I know I'm mixing sports metaphors, but this is what you do. When you're hopeful, you keep moving. People that are hopeless, get in, they, they just lie down in the ditch and say, I, I, I'm never going to make it into town. I'll freeze to death. I'll just lie down. I'll sleep right here. And God doesn't want you to do that in your spiritual life. In, in any part of your life, listen to this. You need to show the same diligence so that you realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So your hope is filled up. Hope is filled up by moving towards it, right? He says, so that you will not be sluggish, but what? Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Faith is that belief and trust in God. I believe God's word. I believe he's, I believe he's right. I believe he's honest. I believe he's not a liar. But that patience is saying like, Faith is saying, I know you're going to do it. That patience is refusing to let go even when it starts to get hard. I th you know, Jesus talked about a group of people that will receive the word with joy. But when things get hard, they fall away. He says, those are people that have no root system. They've got no root system. They're shallow. Now, we've all probably started out shallow, right? Your first few times, your first, you, when you first believed, you didn't have much of a root system. You didn't, have, you didn't really know what you believed, but you just knew God was good. Jesus says there's a group of people that will receive the word with joy. They'll rejoice. They'll say, that's awesome. But the moment things get hard, they fall away. Here he says, I'm convinced of better things for you. See, that's when faith is tested. Faith is not tested when everything's going hunky-dory. Faith is tested when uh, everybody around you says, I'm quitting. And you don't. But look what he says here. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. He grabbed on to the promise of God. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them, an oath is given as confirmation. It's an end of every dispute. So it, you, you back in, in, in Bible times, you swore on something that was bigger than you. Because I could lie, but you might, you might say, well, I swear on the sun or I swear on this. Like, as long as this exists, I'm going to keep my word. But what can God swear on? What can God swear on? He's, he's the biggest thing there is. He's, he's, there's nothing bigger than God. So he swore on himself. Do you realize that means if God broke his promise, he would cease to exist. So he says, this is the end of the dispute. And I want this to be the end of the dispute for me. Because I have disputes. 
I have little arguments inside me whether I really should believe or not. Whether I should believe this or not. Whether I should keep pushing or not. Whether I should just give up and let go. These are things we all kind of encounter at some point. And here's the end of the dispute. God promised. And here is what he says. In the same way God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise. That's you and me. He starts out talking about Abraham, but now he's talking about Abraham's heirs. And the Bible tells us, even if you're not Jewish, the Bible tells us that we who have believed have become children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So this promise that he made for Abraham, it applies to you. And he says, he is desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, the unchangeable things, God's purpose and God's promise, you can't change them. Then he says, it's impossible for God to lie to lie. And we all have said, Lord, nothing is impossible for you, right? The Bible says nothing's impossible for him. But the one thing he says is impossible, it's impossible for him to lie. He won't do it. It's impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement. You know what? This English translation is so wimpy. It's just so wimpy. Strong encouragement. So dignified. Sounds like someone wrote this in a library. But if you were to feel and to understand the way he said it, think about encourage. Think of the most encouraged you've ever been when you're about to give up and somebody didn't let you give up. And they put your face in their hands. Did anybody ever do that to you? They put your face in their hands and said, I'm not letting you quit. Now that's encouragement. Now think of that multiplied, strong encouragement, big encouragement, like, the, like, like a reinfusion of steel in your spine. So think about somebody that's about to lay down and die, and somebody gets in their face and says, you're not dying now. We were in a, right, right, right around the, the worst part of COVID in 2020, we were in a hospital room of a lady that was a very dear part of our church here in Lloydminster, still a dear part of our family, whose family had basically started planning her funeral and and phoned us and said, time to come say goodbye. So we come and say goodbye. We're going to go say goodbye to our sister. We love her, but we are assuming she's saying, I'm ready to go see Jesus. My time is done. Her family's already started dividing her goods planning every part of the funeral. We get there, and I'm ready to pray one of those nice, like, you're ready to go see Jesus prayers. Because you know what? At some point, I want to go see Jesus. It's not a crime to go see Jesus, right? Not a bad thing to go to heaven. So I would want someone, when I'm ready to go, I'd love for someone to be by my side and say, let's just worship the Lord. Let's let's let you go into eternity rejoicing and just loving, being loved and loving on the Lord and loving on your family. So I'm ready to do that. Tia's got her phone out. She's been praying. She's been getting ready for this. She says, I hear one word, vitality. I said, Tia, that's not the word. When people, like I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> no, when people are going to die, that's not the word, vitality. That's, 
Well, it turned out this lady wasn't ready to go see Jesus. Everybody else has just decided for her. She told, you know, she indicated she couldn't talk. She indicated to us, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. Tia gets in her face and says, I get this word vitality. I'm just going to pray that out. Well, Tia starts praying this, you're going to get up and live prayer. And we've been told she's got hours till she dies. Well, she grabbed hold of that word. I think she was just waiting for someone to walk in the room and believe with her. She's alive today. She's not in the hospital. She's praising the Lord. This has been years now. Not minutes, not hours, not months, but years. She's alive. She got out. But because somebody said, we're just going to believe the Lord, and, and, and gave her that strong encouragement. Now, she had that in herself. She was believing God. But I know what it's like to be believing God and feel like you're alone. And just to have somebody encourage you. So you feel like I'm not crazy, Right? But he says, here I have strong encouragement. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement. What's encouraging us? The fact that it's impossible for God to lie. There's one preacher I grew up. I I grew up hearing him as a a singer, not a preacher. He's got a real deep southern voice. I never heard him preach in my life till just recently. I wondered if he was still alive. So I looked him up on YouTube and said, is this guy still alive? Is he singing? What's he doing? And he was preaching at a church, and he said, one thing God wants you to know is God wants to, you to know that he's, he's alive and that he's honest. He's not a liar. And he just started expanding on that point. And I know it sounds simple. And he made it sound so simple. But boy, it hit me when he said it. God wants you to know he's not a liar. God wants you to believe he's not a liar. How would you feel if all your friends thought you were a liar? If all your kids thought you were a liar, wouldn't that be terrible? God wants you to know who he is. And he says he wants you to take strong encouragement in that so that you'll take hold of something. He says, we who have taken refuge. In the original language, there's this, there's this phrase that's, that's hidden in there that it's the idea of fleeing from something. So you're, you're a refugee. We're all refugees in a way. Now, now, to the people that are reading this letter, they're being kicked out of their synagogues. They're being kicked out of their families for believing in Jesus. But in some way, we're all those that have fled one thing and clung to another because we have fled the world system, which is crumbling. The empire is demolishing itself. It's crumbling in on itself. The, the, the world system is at its end. Now, maybe you're on the bottom floor of the Titanic and the water's coming up, and you know real, this thing is about to sink. Maybe you're at the top eating your fancy supper. And you think, oh, this thing will never sink. But it's going to. The Bible tells us over and over again that the things of this world will pass away. Every kingdom will crumble. All flesh is like grass. You can't put your hope in it. You can't put your hope in your government. You can't put your hope in, in, your, in your army. You can't put your hope in your job. You can't put your hope in your celebrities. You can't put your hope in any of that stuff. Not your tradition, not your culture. You have got to put your hope in something that won't change. The Roman Empire is gone. Babylonians are gone. Alexander the Great's empire is gone. Ottoman Empire, gone. Third Reich, gone. Praise the Lord. British Empire is a shadow of what it was. 
Empires fall. Civilizations crumble. You know, the Romans had indoor plumbing. I mean, sophisticated aqueducts. Roads that reached to the fringes of the empire. And yet, 500 years later, we're, we're drinking sewer water in the dark ages. We just always assume things are going to keep getting better and better. I want to tell you, the ship is sinking. So if you've put your hope in that, I need to wake you up with the realization, you can't put your hope in that. Take refuge in the king. Take refuge in his word. Run from that. Flee from Babylon. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know, I'm, I know we're kind of sounding like, you know, the guy with the sign on the street corner says the end is near. He's got a big beard and got a megaphone and the police have to shut him down or something. I'm, I, listen, he's not wrong. Now, maybe his method is weird, but he's not wrong. The end is near. I'm saying that with a smile, though. I want you to know it's not bad for you because you have something to take hold of. If the ship were sinking and we had no lifeboats, we are of most people to be pitied. But we have a refuge. We have a hope. We have a home. We have a king. We have a kingdom. Guys, we don't have to be afraid. So you need to to wake up to the reality that everything we think is stable is not as stable as you think, but he is. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of something. I want to ask you, when you are discouraged, what do you take hold of that encourages you? See, we live in a day and age where right now you can look up whatever you want to believe and find an article to back it up. Or somebody on YouTube tells you you're right. Well, I don't care what you want to believe. Someone will tell you, that's right, you're right. What I've found is it's very easy for me to say, that can't possibly be true. I don't want that to be true. So I can just look up somebody that says, you're right. It's not true. <laughs> and I comfort myself. Ah. I may still be really wrong, but at least I'm comforted in my wrongness. When instead, what we need to do is be clinging, taking refuge in the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you say? What's your word right now? What are you saying? I can get a second, third, fourth opinion from every doctor in town, but Lord, what do you say? Lord, what do you say? Not what do my friends say. I thank God for friends. Not, not what does the news say. Not, not what does Twitter say. Not what does Facebook say. Not what does YouTube say. What do you say? I don't want to take strong encouragement, so I'm going to take hold of something. And this is the point. When you know that God's not a liar, there's something you're going to have to grab onto. You can't be a passive believer anymore. You can't just sit here and go, well, Lord, if you want, you'll do it. There are some things he says, I don't need you to help me. I'm doing this. But there are other times where he says, I don't need your help, but I'm, I need your faith. I need you to agree. That doesn't mean he's, power, he's, most, he's all powerful, right? He could do everything without us, but he chooses not to. And he says, I'm looking for someone to believe me. You know, when uh, Balaam was prophesying or paid off to prophesy against Israel as they were passing through enemy land, there was a prophet named Balaam who was paid to curse the Israelites. We've talked about this before. But when he was paid to curse the Israelites, he couldn't curse them. He kept, like, trying to, but he ended up blessing them every time. 
And there's this point in one of his prophecies over Israel where he says, he says what God told him to say. God said, you say this to that king. I am not a man that I should lie. I am not a son of man that I should change my mind. What is God saying? I'm not like you. You need to know I'm not like you. Now, as, as, as much as I love you, I'm going to pinch your little cheeks and tell you I love you, and you're my kids that I created. I'm not like you. You break your word sometimes. I never do. Stop thinking of me like I'm one of you. Know that I'm higher. I don't lie. I don't change my mind. I'm not one of you. And the great thing is, is when you get to know him and his truth and his faithfulness, will you become like him? You become the, you know a God that doesn't lie, you stop lying, right? You know a God that's faithful, you stop breaking your word every time. I, I was remembering, um, just thinking about this taking hold of it, because there's the key. That's how you know you fully hoped in him. That's how you know you've, your faith is full. When you start to take hold of something, he said, you take hold of it, you don't let it go. Sometimes taking hold of it, what does that look like? Sometimes it looks like you taking steps towards it. You finally acting on it. Sometimes it looks like you not taking any steps at all. You stay planted where God told you to stay. And everything inside you says, I want to leave. I want to go somewhere else. This is hard. This isn't fun anymore. And the Lord says, I didn't tell you to go. I planted you there. Hold the line. Stay. Keep your feet where I put them. Stay rooted and grounded. And there's other times where he says, don't you dare stay. You run. Run into my purpose. Run into what I've called you to do. I was thinking about Jeremiah. You guys remember Jeremiah was that prophet that actually had multiple people calling for his head daily. Because he was the one that was saying, you guys, if you don't get your act together, Babylon's going to come and take this place over. And they're going to take you all out of your homeland. And this temple we love, and these palaces we love, and these houses you love, they're going to be gone. And people said, we should kill him because he's prophesied against the city. Right? Let me tell you, patriotism is not the highest anointing here, guys. At some point, we, think we put patriotism over truth. I'm more a citizen of heaven than I am a citizen of Canada. I'm going to pray for my country. I love this place. I love the people of this place. But my allegiance is not to Canada. My allegiance is to Jesus. So if the Lord says you have to say something hard to your country, you say something hard to your country. He's saying something hard to Jerusalem. And they go, oh, put him to death. He's prophesying against the city. And he's saying, I'm saying what the Lord says. So Jeremiah, because he's like, I will be an object lesson. If you guys are so thick-headed you can't get this, let me be a living object lesson. And he puts a yoke on his shoulder, the kind of yoke you would put between two oxen so that they could pull something together. He puts it on, and he says, this is the yoke that the Babylonians are going to put on us. Carries it around. And a prophet named Hananiah comes along. And Hananiah says, I heard a word from the Lord. Hananiah's got fancy shoes. He's got a slick jacket. No, that's part I added. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> I need to say that because otherwise you're going to be like, well, how do I believe anything you say? All right, so this is, I just made that part up. This is the part that's true. Hananiah says, 
Jeremiah is saying, you know, we're going you know, to be captives. Hananiah says, it's going to be two years, tops. This is why you shouldn't listen to a word the Babylonians say when they come. Two years. Jeremiah says, see this yoke on me? Hananiah says, I see it, and I'm going to break it. And Hananiah took the yoke and broke it and says, thus says the Lord, so I will break the yoke of the Babylonians off your neck in two years. And Jeremiah says, God tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah walks away. In fact, Jeremiah says, amen. I hope you're right. I would love that to be true. Jeremiah walks away, and God says, Jeremiah, go back and tell him, you've prophesied against me and you're going to die. Jeremiah was all about like being friendly. I mean, like, you know what? Amen, brother. If that's what happens, I'm I'm, going to be the first in line to be happy. God says, you go back and you tell him he's going to die because he prophesied against me. That's what Jeremiah does. Jeremiah says, it's not going to be two years, friends. It's going to be 70 years. So settle in, plant some gardens, let your kids get married, have some kids, build a house. It's going to be 70 years, but then I will fulfill my good word to you. And I will bring you back to the land I called you to. And I will bring you back from exile. And I will rebuild your demolished places and your desolate places. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and hope. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That was the context of that verse. Was that the prophets were saying, It won't be long. And God says, don't listen to those prophets. Don't listen to those dreamers. The dreams they dreamed didn't come from me. The prophecies they prophesied didn't come from me. Here's what I say. You know how many times I've got discouraged because I just listened to the wrong person? I said, well, God said it. No, somebody said God said it. You need to check that thing out. Don't believe every time. Every time somebody says, thus says the Lord, doesn't magically make it the Lord. Even if they use King James English. How could he speak in old English if it was not the Lord? Anybody can do that. You remember the guy that famously prophesied and he got the wrong Bible character? And, and he goes, uh, he has to correct him, says, he says, thus to the Lord, I have made a mistake. And he made a mistake. So Jeremiah says, God tells Jeremiah, tell them I didn't say any of that junk. Here's the truth. You're going to be there for 70 years. But here's what I'm getting to. After 70 years passed, nobody did anything except for Daniel. Daniel digs out his books, and he reads the prophecy that Jeremiah made. And he reads it, and he says, it's been 70 years. And he goes to the river, and he says, I'm going to pray. He took hold of the promise of God. He took hold of that promise. He says, I'm not getting up until I lay hold of what God promised. He said 70 years. He said he knew the plans he had for us. So I believe it even if none of my friends believe it. Because you know what happened? They got comfortable. They were comfortable in Judah. But then when they got taken into Babylon, they got comfortable there. And only one man got his Bible out. Got it. Well, it wasn't his Bible, but got the, the scroll out and read and said, it's been 70 years. I'm going to pray. And he sought the Lord by the river. Until he got a vision from God, but he didn't understand the vision. So he sought the Lord for 21 more days until he got the interpretation. And because of that vision at that river, we had, God didn't just show Daniel what was going to happen to Israel or what was going to happen to Judah. He showed Daniel a vision that went all the way to the end of all time. 
because he laid hold of God's promise. I just want to say to you right now, we've all been discouraged by somebody that said, thus says the Lord, and it wasn't God. But I don't want you to let that stop you from believing when God actually does speak. And the promises that he says are a more sure word of prophecy. What he's promised in his word, what he's promised to you. I want you to have strong encouragement. I want you to take refuge. This is why it's hard for a comfortable nation to seek the Lord. Because we have the illusion that the ship is not sinking. Because our bills are paid and our stomachs are full, we think it's fine. But we need to flee and take refuge. I'm not saying go quit your job. I'm not saying let's start a colony out in the ocean or somewhere. I'm saying, come on, God put us here for a reason. God put us in Lloydminster for a reason. Let's let's do what he wants us to do in this city. But don't put your hope in that stuff. Take hold of the promise of God. Be diligent. Show some hustle. Today, I I want you to, if if you hear nothing else that I've said this whole time, I want you to hear this. God is not a liar. God's not a liar. He really wants you to believe he's not a liar. He really wants you to know he's honest. He is not like us. You know, if you think about it, I've, I've, I don't think I, I, if I think back, I don't think there are many times I've broken my word just because I didn't feel like it. But there have been times where I was physically stopped. I, the, the flight got canceled, right? Flight got canceled. Something beyond my control changed. I couldn't do what I said I'd do. We have limitations that keep us from keeping our promises, Right? Sometimes we say, I, if I could, I would be there for you. I know I said I'd be there. And if I could, but I can't get out of my driveway. I'm snowed in. My weakness, my limitation keeps me from doing it. But know this, God has no weakness. He has no limitation. He'll never get snowed in. He'll never get his flight canceled. There is nothing that can stop God from keeping his promise. He's not a liar. It's impossible for him to lie, so take strong encouragement. And this is why the book of Hebrews says, get together more often. I'm closing with this. Get together more often and encourage one another. Somebody needs your phone call. Somebody needs your text. Somebody needs you to get by their bedside and speak the word of the Lord back to them. I don't care if they've been saved longer than you. I don't care if they they seem more spiritual than you. I'm not talking about you overstepping boundaries. I'm talking about you being a friend, you being a brother, you being a sister, and saying, I want to encourage you right now. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. God's not a liar. He will fulfill his good word for you. He knows the plans he has for you, and they're good. I want you to stand with me this morning.